Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. Today, I am speaking with Ryan Hunt, co-founder and chief technology officer of Algex, a company that finds new technologies for industries that are known for their harmful practices and creates new, sustainable ways for them to manufacture. I met Ryan on Instagram in a discussion for one such innovation, a product called Bloom. Bloom is a foam made from the excess algae we have in our waters. Ryan, who is also a bio and agricultural engineer, discovered that algae plasticizes over time, creating a foam. A decade later, this technology can be found in your Adidas sneakers, your kids' natives, and even surf tech surfboards. I am so excited to have Ryan on today to discuss all things algae and learn more about how he and the team at Algex are being the change. Welcome, Ryan, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Christine. Really excited to be here and and, and share with you our journey. I'm really into this and how algae can now save the world. I was uh, very big on mushrooms and mycelium and and how that can also change it. And when we first met before COVID, BC, right on Instagram, I had DM'd you regarding the technology. And I was really impressed, of course, that you immediately responded and then had a really like lively conversation with me. And then now come to find out, I realized you invented it. So it's like, (laughs) you know, you knew what you were talking about. And I would love to first, if you can, before we get into the actual manufacturing of Bloom, tell us a little bit about algae and what it is. Because I I looked it up and it's like, I've, you know, written articles on it. There's alga, which is the singular of algae. Algae is plural. But then there's algal, which ends with an L. And then it's the hyponym of seaweed, which I just wanted to say hyponym. Um, <laughs> but right? so tell me, what is algae? Can we eat it? Is it toxic? To- yeah. Well, you know, algae is the fundamental photosynthetic organism on the earth. It's been around for billions of years and it's technically a protist, but it, these are single celled microorganisms that have the ability to convert sunlight into energy. And so there's a wide range of genetic diversity. When we say the word algae, there's blue-green algae, which are actually bacteria that photosynthesize. They were the first ones that really did it. But then there's green algae, and green algae are the predecessors to what we would call plants and trees. And then there's also diatoms. Diatoms are are microorganisms that have silica in their cell structure. So they're a little bit different. And there's also other types of calcium in their cell structure. So there's a few fundamental classes. There's also algae that lives inside of corals. So corals are animals, but they host inside their cells, little tiny algae organisms that use sunlight to photosynthesize and the algae excrete sugar 
back to the coral, which use it to, for survival. So typically when you see coral bleaching, what's really happening is the algae inside the coral has died due to a variety of issues, warming or pH issues. And as a result, the coral has no way to survive because that was where it was getting its food, the sugar. Wow. So, so when we hear about that, so it's the algae that is the missing piece for the coral bleaching, which is obviously a whole other subject. So it's not just the chlorals just dying. It's because they're food sources, right? It's because the, yeah, it's a very sensitive type of algae that grows inside their cells. So it's algae can be found anywhere all over the world. There's algae in the Arctic in the snow. It's in the Caribbean. It's in the, the beaches. It's in the oceans. It's in the lakes. It's in the soil. If you go pull a a sample of dirt out of your backyard and put it in some water with uh, some nutrients, some nitrogen, some phosphorus, some carbon, you'll get algae. It'll grow. It's there. It's in the soil. So these, these organisms are all over the planet. And the problem that we see with algae is that it grows really efficiently. It's one of the things that has excited people and researchers and, and companies to, to try to develop algae as a biotechnology. And when you look at algae, it grows 10 to 100 times faster than plants and trees. It's because it doesn't have bark or limbs or leaves or fruits or roots. And, you know, all that structure that a tree has to produce just to photosynthesize, algae doesn't have that. It just reproduces itself over and over and over again. So it can duplicate itself in a day, unlike really any other plant. So when you look at the ability of algae to produce oxygen or capture carbon, Algae does far more carbon capturing and oxygen producing than all of the forests on the entire planet combined. I mean, if you think about it, the earth is covered 70% of water. It's a blue planet. So that is the native environment for these cells. And, you know, they're at low concentrations, but there's just so much. And really the problem with algae comes because this is a natural material. It's It's the foundation of the food web in the oceans. The microalgaes will bloom due to nutrients finding their way into the water. And then what will happen is small crustaceans or, or smaller microorganisms will eat the algae. And then that gets eaten by a large organism and by a large organism. And before too long, you're feeding whales and tunas. And so- Well, can I ask you, so I'm going to step back here. So the algae that we find, like, so it can be a very big problem from which you also have. So I, I love this, that you bioengineer and also an agricultural engineer. So you understand that industrialized farming has a lot of waste. So there's runoff. So people understand that when it rains in Florida, right, it's generally flat and the drainage is going into the water. It makes its way into the oceans, right? And there's a lot of nitrogen and fertilizer, which is feeding the algae. Now it's killing fish, right? They say, now, is it the algae that's killing the fish when we say algae blooms? And I know there can be natural ones, right? There can be, you know, it comes around naturally and then some of it we're feeding and here I go again, but can we eat this algae that's in the ocean? They're two different ones. Yeah. There's so many different types. No, it's a great question. So the term algae bloom is really just talking about this explosive exponential growth of algae typically happening when it's been fertilized. Now, when we talk about harmful algae blooms, we're talking about areas like Lake Erie or Lake Okeechobee, where there is a lot of you know, man-induced eutrophication, which means that this is runoff from agricultural areas. And in that situation, there's two things happening. During the daytime, algae utilize that nitrogen and carbon dioxide, either from the atmosphere or in the water, and use sunlight to grow very rapidly. And so during the daytime, when the algae are photosynthesizing, they're actually producing oxygen. 
So there's really not a problem in the daytime. It's at nighttime when the sunlight goes away and the algae concentration has gotten so high, the algae start to absorb oxygen. And that's when the problem happens is the algae can actually by, you know, midnight or, or two or three in the morning, they can suck all that oxygen that they produced back in, convert it. Then you have these suffocation events of fish. Uh, so that's the one area. And then the other aspect is if the algae bloom is bad enough, it can actually collapse. Like let's say the, the, the bloom dies. In that scenario, you actually have bacteria that are decomposing the dead algae cells. And that bacterial growth is respiring. They're using oxygen. And so it's not the algae per se that's causing the suffocation. It's actually the bacteria eating the algae that's sucking up all the available oxygen. So that's another situation. Now, the third, I would say a little bit more rare circumstance, but certainly probably the most popularized and, and maybe the most well-known are these harmful algae blooms. So there are situations where you have, you know, not just these oxygen issues, but if it's a specific type of algae under specific circumstances, it can actually produce toxins. The algae can produce toxins. Yes. And we had that here upstate and they were telling people who were running their dogs yes. to keep them out. Okay. So and I would look that, we would call it, I'm from Ohio, that we have a lot of ponds. We call it pond scum. Not right? all pond scum is poisonous, just so we're clear, but yes, exactly. And you don't know if it, pond scum isn't. Yeah. Pond scum not, isn't necessarily toxic. I mean, pond scum is kind of just, you see it floating on the surface. It's so, the green so. though. Is that an algae? Yeah. It is algae. It is, but it's a different algae. There's, yeah, there's, uh, I think, over 35,000 identified strains of algae in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Estimates are as high as over 100,000. So there's so many strains. So only a handful of them are bad actors. Okay. But but they do exist. Is there a guidebook, like, that we could take? Yeah, like called dichotomous keys. There's ways to identify it. But really, DNA is the way to do it. There's a lab in Florida called Greenwater Labs. If you're worried, if you have a pond in your backyard or you have a farm or, or whatever, your dog ate something, you can actually grab some of that algae and send it to Greenwater Labs and they can test and identify what it is. Okay. All right. And then the algae that we eat, again, like you said, there's 35,000 different kinds. Strains. Yeah. So the different most strains. common ones are spirulina and yeah. chlorella are probably the most popular. Chlorella is a green algae. That's a, a predecessor of plants. Very nutritious. Uh, lots of protein. A spirulina is a blue-green algae, so it actually has blue pigment in it and green pigments in it, chlorophyll, but also has very high protein content, very nutritious, been used for for a long, long time by human civilization uh, as a a way to supplement protein. And then there's also another strain that we cult, that humans cultivate called Dunaliella, Selena. It's a very sexy name, and it's a orange-reddish algae. And it produces beta carotene, has the highest concentration of beta carotene from a photosynthetic growth. So basically, it's like carrots at the cellular level. And people use that for extracting nutraceutical grade quantities of, of beta carotene. I am all in this. I feel like when I watched the fantastic fungi movie on mushrooms, have you seen that yet? Yeah, it's amazing. It's it amazing, cool? right? And like right now, just talking to you, my mouth is dropping. I mean, it's, it's all quite obvious. This can help us that we're, we're meant to work with this. And then, okay, and before we go on, algal, A-L-G-A-L, what is that? Is that just a... It's like the adjective. So you'd say like an algal bloom uh, or okay. we're going to use an algal, algal technology. It's basically, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's more or less the same thing. Both are right. There's nothing wrong. Okay. All right. Great. That's awesome to know. So I want to know, like when you started 
what made you want to go into this? Did you know that it was such a, a miracle product? Could not, you not at first. I mean, for, yeah. for me, my journey started, uh, you know, my background's in physics at the time. I was, I was an undergraduate in physics. I was just really passionate about sustainable energy, you know, new energy technologies. I uh, was very concerned about climate change. And, you know, this was like in 2005, 2006. Yeah, global warming was a known thing, but I would say it did definitely now is way different. Back then, it was still kind of like nobody really quite knew what was going on or didn't believe it, at least. And then also, I was interested in just environmental remediation. So when we first started, the goal with algae was to use it as a tool for environmental remediation. And for me, what got me into it was I'm also an avid aquarium keeper. I had in college, I had five saltwater aquariums in my college dorm room. Wow. And I was battling algae blooms daily. I would clean yeah. these tanks and within a day or two, the algae was right back to where it was before I cleaned them. So it was very frustrating. And I was just like, man, this stuff grows so fast. I was like, how fast is this actually growing? Because when you actually grab it, it's, it's mostly water. So I started doing some research into algae and I came across what was called the Aquatic Species Program by the Department of Energy. And turns out the U.S. government had invested millions of dollars into algae biofuel research from the 70s, 1970s, after the oil embargoes. And it went to the mid-90s, right before we, once we got into Iraq, in the first Gulf War, funding dropped off and we got a bunch of cheap oil and then all the research got cut. And so when I was looking at this in like 2006, the 300-page report was publicly available. So I downloaded it, just started reading it, and just became fascinated to see that, hey, there's a lot of serious researchers, decades of research that have gone into showing how algae can be used as a natural resource. And at that point, it, got, it just stopped. It just stopped in the 90s with cheap oil. And then in 2006, oil prices were high again. There was more interest in alternative energy and biofuels. A lot of work was going into soybeans as kind of the solution for diesel, biodiesel. And so I made a contact in the bioengineering department as a, as a physics undergraduate and got a job as a student worker turning uh, pine trees into crude oil. So we had a process called pyrolysis that we were working on researching where you literally would heat up pine tree chips in a reactor and convert it into bio-based crude oil. And so my job was to essentially take the oil that came out of the reactor and quantify it, characterize it, analyze it, and then give that data back to the professor. And so, yeah, so then that turned into, hey, instead of doing this on trees, can we do this for algae? And so then we kind of started and formed our, our algae program at the University of Georgia, where uh, we were looking at a, a range of agricultural feedstocks, but essentially using algae as a base feedstock to not only absorb the pollution from agricultural processes, but take that biomass and put it through different downstream conversions things. So we were taking algae and turning it into biodiesel. We were, you know, from, through extracting the oils, we were fermenting it and making ethanol. We were taking it and using heat and pressure and turning it into hydrogen. We were turning it into crude oil. We were turning it into compost and fertilizer. Uh, but then finally, really what got me on the track of algex was that we found that we could turn the algae into a natural biomaterial and that the algae when it was grown in these high nutrient conditions, actually had a lot of protein in the biomass. And that protein are polymer chains of amino acids. These are, these are nature's natural polymers. And so we said, well, if the algae is comprised of 50, 60% protein, that's basically a polymer in there. Let's use it 
And so we started developing compounds where in composites, which is basically blending the algae with other plastic-like things to make a pellet that could be processed through conventional manufacturing, injection molding, uh, compression molding, extrusion. And so that was really the foundation and starting of Algex in 2010 uh, was based on that graduate work, trying to find something valuable to do with all this algae that's coming from uh, wastewater remediation and harmful algae bloom mitigation. Wow. And here we have bloom foam, right? And now, so, I mean, this research, like you said, you started in 2010, here we are 11 years later, and now we can find this foam, you mix it, so it's not 100%, right, which is the discussion you and I were talking about, but it's 30%, you know, reducing, I mean, you have it on your website and everyone, you can go to their website, but it talks about it cleans the water and it cleans the air, right? Is it recyclable, the foam that you've created? Yeah, it can be recyclable. I would say the, the key element that we always tell people to make sure they understand what we're doing is that we make a compound. So we blend raw algae biomass in its native form. We're not uh, changing it. We're not modifying it. We're not fermenting it. We're literally taking the algae, drying it, and blending it with a wide range of, of different polymers. Uh-huh. And so those polymers, they can be recycled polymers. They can be bio-based polymers. They can be compostable polymers, or they can be high-performance engineered polymers. It doesn't really matter. There are some limitations of what we can blend with, but we've, we've played a lot of different systems. The goal is to take the algae and put it into a compound that meets the performance needs of the brand or the, or the company, the application. So in the early days, we were blending the algae with a lot of compostable resins. These were resins that would break down in the environment in composting conditions. In that circumstance, the algae actually accelerates the rate of biodegradation. So when that plastic goes into the environment, it actually breaks down faster and more completely with the algae, which is infusing nutrients throughout that, that polymer matrix. But at the time, you know, this was almost 10 years ago, we didn't have a lot of takers. We couldn't find anybody that wanted to buy that. We ended up actually making 3D printer filament out of that. And we had a little business selling 3D printer filament that's still available now through 3D Print Life. But that is a product that is, is commercially available. I would say the big market pull for us where we actually had customers coming to us and saying, hey, can you make us a compound for for our products was once we started making these foams and getting into footwear. We had big footwear brands that, you know, fashion uh, in the fashion industry, sustainability has become a big buzzword. They all want to have something that they can talk about and point to say, no, we're actually trying to do something better for the world. And so uh, starting about five years ago, we realized that if we could make a compound that can plug into the existing supply chain, such that these factories and these brands don't have to change over their entire manufacturing processes and materials and chemistry, then we'd actually be able to, to start this thing and build a business. And, you know, it's not perfect. We, you know, we'd love to have it hundred percent algae, but yeah, and, and chemical limitations, supply chain limitations to achieve that right off the bat. So when we get the algae into a durable product, we're capturing that CO2 from the life cycle of the algae. And again, the way that we ensure that is that our supply chain is working with partners that are government partners and private companies that are either cleaning environmental problems like cleaning lakes or we're we're intercepting pollution at the source of the pollution at water plants, uh, water treatment plants, power plants, et cetera attacking this pollution before it's released into the environment to prevent the harmful algae blooms from happening in the first place. 
So our supply chain is really critical to the success of our company. And really the sale of our balloon pellets and the adoption of the brands is driving the ability for these utility companies or these, these government entities looking at, hey, we have pollution, we have algae bloom problems, what are we going to do with it? We're putting a dollar amount out there. So we're creating a market for the specific type of biomass that's being used to clean the environment. And it's like with recycled plastics. Recycled plastics are now valuable. So guess what? People are out there cleaning the oceans. People are cleaning beaches and recycling this stuff. They've created a market for it. And through that, they have incentivized its cleanup. Same thing that we're doing. We have put a dollar amount on the algae biomass itself if it meets these criteria. And so now we've got companies that are building infrastructure to intercept pollution before the, it reaches the environment and cleaning up algae blooms that have already negatively impacted the environment. So once we get that into a product, we can quantify those specific benefits in the product on a per pair basis or a per year basis with that company. And they can communicate those benefits to their brand by how much water we clean to produce the algae that's contained in that specific pair of shoes. So are you getting your algae say from like Lake Okeechobee? Are you like, like you? Yeah. I mean, some of it. So it's, it's really? important. we get it from different places. Lake Okeechobee is one of our big projects working with the U S army Corps of engineers. We haven't got algae biomass dried from there yet, but we have been doing demonstrations with AECOM, our technology partner that does the engineering and boots on the ground stuff, uh, working with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Now, there's a similar lake to Lake Okeechobee called Lake Tai that's in China that has the exact same issues. It's just bigger and it has more algae blooms. And there, the government has actually already built huge infrastructure harvesting algae using the same process that we use, just they're doing it at, at 10 times the scale. So that, that allowed us to rapidly increase our scale of production by plugging into a big restoration effort that was already underway. And then back on the USA side, we work with utility companies that are using the algae to polish or to provide kind of final treatment of wastewater at water plants or power plants or factories. And that algae also is being harvested, dried, and then sold into our supply chain. Okay, so the algae is being used at the water treatment plant to clean it? Yeah, so the final stage of water treatment yeah. is typically you've got phosphorus, a little bit of nitrogen left in the water that's really hard to get out. Yeah. And so what's been happening is the water plants just discharge it. And then, you know, yeah. downstream, yeah. guess what? Big algae bloom happens. And yeah. they're getting fined by the EPA over it. Yeah. So we've targeted the facilities that had those issues and said, hey, if you guys grow algae on site, you can prevent the algae bloom from happening in the environment. And you have a, a, a byproduct that you can sell to make money. And so they, they like that idea. Okay, so then the algae goes into the water treatment plant, and then after it's done its job, it comes to you. Yeah, they're growing the algae in ponds at the water treatment plant, typically. Wow, wow. yeah, because, I mean, the runoff here is a big problem. We have, the, you know, it's the treatment plants are old, and they just, uh, you know, we get a big storm, and it just runs off into the water, and it's bad. So, okay, so now, you, so the foam, tell me about where you're, you're putting the foam in. It's in sneakers, it's in surfboards. Everyone out there listening, you probably, you could be in your shoes. I know it's an Adidas. It's in, name some of them. I mean, Native, right? Which is like yeah. my son used to wear them until he was 10. You know, those plastic shoes, right? Who else? Oh, yeah. Flops. Yeah. I mean, we've got over a hundred brands now. Yeah. Uh, everything from the small niche brands like, you know, Vivo Barefoot, Tom's. I mean, just Red Wing. I mean, so many. You know, I feel bad naming a couple because okay. we've got right. so many yeah, awesome I, partners out there. But yeah, I mean, the highlighters are, you know, Wolverine, Merrill, Adidas, Puma, Levi's just launched shoes. So, I mean, it's 
the list is growing. I would say the it's almost like the brands that aren't using Bloom, that's an easier list to talk about. Can you talk to me a little bit about remediation, like how algae can be used I know you've made it into foam, but Algex is a company like you. So, you know, it's like the company and then Bloom is a subsidiary, right? That's a product, right? You have more products. Like, what are you guys working on? And also, how does it clean the air? That's why I didn't understand. I know how it cleans the air, but how does it clean the air? So the eco facts are what we're typically communicating about clean air and clean water. And that's tied to the life cycle of the algae. And so when algae grows, it's absorbing carbon out of the air. It's diffusing into water in these lakes or in these remediation systems. And the algae biomass, for every pound of algae biomass that's produced, it sequestered two pounds of CO2. So what happens is the carbon stays in the algae. The O2 is released as oxygen into the atmosphere. So that's where the air cleaning is coming from. We're talking about CO2, really. Okay, okay. Which is, um, is perfect. Yeah, and it's, it's doing so at a rate much faster than any terrestrial plant can do. I mean, trees don't grow this fast. So, so the rate is, is algae, do you see algae as, as a solution to our warming patterns? Like, do you see? Oh, of course, yeah. The I mean, answer, it's, the like, most, it's the most efficient photosynthetically driven carbon capture technology we have. What does that look like? I'm trying to understand, and I wish... It's friendly. At one point, it's very friendly, and then it, it turns on you, right? And I, I'm yeah, guessing at well, night, at night, it can turn on you. <laughs> so yeah, like, well, it depends on the environment. So, yeah. with the way that I kind of envision the future is that every society, every community has wastewater. Yeah. Uh, you know, everywhere. Yeah, right? everyone. Every city, every everybody has water treatment plants. Those water treatment plants are gold mines that no one's leveraging the resources. All that nitrogen and phosphorus and carbon is just leaching out into the environment, causing problems. If we were to set up strategic algae cultivation farms in combination with our water treatment plants, in combination with our power plants that are releasing CO2, in combination with industrial locations, you know, agricultural locations, it requires there to be a value on the algae biomass to do that. So we're trying to get phase one is that people value algae and see it as a commodity, as a new agricultural commodity. Uh, In 2018, in the USDA Farm Bill, algae is now categorized as a legitimate agricultural commodities. That was step one. Now That's there's fantastic. Did you work on that? Did you work on not, the farm bill? Not directly, but it, through our trade organization, the algae sure. biomass organization. Yeah, we certainly have, have promoted algae as a, a new agricultural commodity. And the work we're doing at, at Bloom is showing that, yeah, not only is a commodity, but it has induced applications. Yeah, so our, our business is focused on taking the algae, converting it into a universally usable form. And that is the pellet. Our pellets are about half algae, half polymer, and that polymer fraction can be a wide range of different materials depending on what the end use is. Currently, it's mostly what are called elastomers. These are kind of rubbery plastics or polymers, and therefore, the algae is going into foams that are for like insoles, midsoles, outsoles, sandals, yoga mats, attraction pads, boating deck boards, consumer accessories, luxury packaging, cases, and that's kind of where we're at today. From so, in the future, we'd like to expand beyond that, beyond just footwear. Are you mixing it with an oil-based, a petroleum-based plastic, or is it a? It we can. It depends on what the customer is using. We can do recycled plastics. We can blend with high-performance materials. We can blend with bioplastics that are made from other plant feedstocks. So it really just depends on what the end-use application is and what the customer is already using. We've got to be able to meet their performance metrics or else we don't really have a project. So that's number one. Right, right. I mean, uh, particularly with 
I mean, not for me, you know, I, I mean, I like a nice sneaker, but I'm not, you know, <laughs> not an athlete, but it seems, you know, it's all performance based. Whereas when I was a kid, it was just fashion based. Right. So is this circular? So if you're mixing it with the oil, right, with the petroleum based plastic, do they cancel each other out? Is there a more benefit still by using the algae? Have you done metrics on that? Yeah. Like- so that's what a life cycle assessment measures. And so from the life cycle assessment perspective of our compounds compared to virgin, we're about 30 to 70% less impactful than normal EVA based on our current model. We do have some improvements to our model. So the model we have now is peer reviewed. It's published. It's compared on the HIG database. It's basically a comparative LCA and we have it third party audited by the GRS. We've got all these certifications that essentially back up our environmental impacts And we have a route in using recycled resins to have a fully carbon neutral product. In fact, it may even be, we should be able to make it even carbon negative. But, you know, the algae, you have to harvest it, you have to dry it, you have to compound it. So it's not a perfectly free process. The areas that we're improving are, we just got a 700 acre solar facility installed near our factory. We're starting to use recycled resins and polymers as opposed to virgin in in these compounds. And, And we're able to achieve the performance metrics that, the brands demand and require. And we're looking at other ways to reduce and shorten the production logistical issues, you know, producing algae closer to our factories, working with factories that are closer to the end customer. So all those play into an LCA and looking at the full life cycle. And then at the end of life, you know, that's the challenge is that we are an ingredient in somebody else's product and we're along for the ride. So whatever that brand has developed, typically shoes are multi-material products that have chemical additives that impede their ability to be traditionally recycled. Uh, It's a big, big problem. And there's a lot of companies looking at different ways to to solve it. I don't think there's going to be one solution. I think there's going to be a multitude of different solutions. But everything from making the shoe out of one material and then having that material be more recyclable is one area. Uh, Other area is is recycling the shoe, grinding it up and and fractionating it back out and trying to use those fractions for different products. Uh, which requires a bigger recycling infrastructure, which is a lot of capital cost that needs to be done, but it'd be great to have that. And then also there's new ways of making shoes, disruptive ways that don't use the legacy architecture that we, when we make shoes, we tool up and create these huge stainless steel molds, like, you know, to make millions and millions and millions of pairs of that one model. Maybe in the future, we don't have to make millions of millions of one model. Maybe we can go with a a lower impact tooling or uh, 3D technologies that, can be more nimble, have lower startup costs, and can use higher amounts of recycled content. Wow. That's just incredible. I had no idea. <laughs> you know, I had no idea that algae was so powerful. I've spent some time in looking at because I have a child and concerned about climate. And what I've seen, you know, I really dove into regenerative agriculture, which a lot of people feel that, that you know, I know you know regenerative agriculture, right? Uh, and a lot of people feel that that's the answer or it's trees, you know, just planting more and more trees. But now when you're saying how efficient this is, you know, there's also this device, do you know, the, the carbon sequestering machine and definitely in Switzerland, I'm not sure, but it's Zurich and it, it's capturing. Have you seen it? There's a direct, yeah, direct air capture. Where yeah. It, yeah. And then they're using it to put it into soda water, into Coca-Cola. I don't know. You know, I mean, a little bit of it feels like greenwashing, but with algae, it seems as if that this is really a natural solution that if we can figure it out, 
could really do a lot of good that we need right now in capturing that and, and getting us, you know, down. Where are we now? 373? I think it's over 400. Is now. it over 400? Right. You know, and 350.org was like where, you know, it was supposed to be at 350. Right. So I don't know what's coming up for Algex. Like, are you guys looking into that? Are you going to stay in the foam area? Are you? Well, again, we, we are compounders, so we can make pellets and compounds for, for any industry, not just foams, but foams has certainly been what's taken off in the beginning. Our mission is to create value and awareness around the benefits of algae. And algae is not the only thing that's going to save us. We still need trees. Direct air capture is really interesting, and that can feed a variety of applications where we're already using CO2 or we're actually mining CO2 and, and using it and then putting it into like soda drinks. Well, let's use CO2 that's already in the atmosphere versus pulling that out of the ground. So there's there's a whole massive movement with the new Biden administration is really gaining momentum around carbon credits in the U.S. Around the world, this is already existing, but in the U.S., it's had a, a torturous journey. But there's a new program with the IRS called 45Q, and this allows taxpayers that have a tax liability, businesses, that can prove that they are capturing carbon and sequestering it through some proven means to actually get a tax credit per ton of CO2 they capture and sequester. And so algae has been approved in this. So algae technologies are, are an eligible group of technologies. And so, yeah, there's a big push towards using these tax credits or incentives or various different government programs to accelerate the growth of these technologies such they can reach the scale that we need to reverse and draw down this excess amount of CO2 that's in the atmosphere. I mean, when we look at it on the the big picture, the items are, like I said earlier, growing algae in all of our communities as part of our traditional municipalities. That's kind of like step one. Two is integrating algae culture in intercepting agricultural runoff. And that's a little bit trickier, but maybe that's also tied with algae bloom remediation. So like on Lake Erie, setting up systems that actually intercept those blooms before they go and cause a lot of problems in, in the rest of the lake. And then there's also work with the Department of Energy and DARPA on mass seaweed culture. So we, we haven't talked a lot about macroalgae, but macroalgae is, you know, people probably call it seaweed, but these are, are basically larger organisms that are also photosynthetic and live in the water. Some of them are single cell, some of them are multicellular. So they're maybe a little bit different from just pure microalgae, but they are still very efficient and they do provide carbon sequestration and they do absorb nitrogen and phosphorus. So there's work to use macroalgae or seaweeds in large-scale deployments in the ocean where you can cover a large surface area of the earth in more of a controlled and engineered way that's capturing carbon and doing good and then, and then harvesting that, that seaweed continuously. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big project. And of course, you know, when you're on the ocean, things aren't easy. There's storms and hurricanes and but again, I think it's going to be a combination of things. But really, from our perspective, we're trying to, to promote the use of algae as a way to intercept the pollution that we're creating as a society, as, you know, whether it's industry, whether it's agriculture, whether it's just you know, the people, the society itself. It has the ability, and it's already doing it. I mean, the algae is already in these ponds. It's, it's already in the lakes. It's out there. Just no one's collecting it because no one was aware that it had value and no one was paying for it. And so that's kind of how, when we started, there was no supply chain. Like we built these mobile algae harvesters to go suck algae out of catfish ponds because that was the closest thing to us that had algae and high concentrations. 
And that was basically up for the grabs. Whoever can get there and work out a deal with a farmer, you know, give as much algae as you want. And since it replicates so fast, I mean, you come one day, you try to harvest as much as you can. You're never going to get it all because, you know, nothing's perfect. And next day, it's right back to where it was because there's so much nutrients there in, in the system. So that's really where we would like to go is encouraging industry to adopt algae as a remediation and restoration technology on the, the production side. And then on the other, other end of the spectrum with the brands, it's just raising awareness on buying products that contain algae. It doesn't have to be bloom. It could be people are eating algae. People are using it as a food ingredient. People are using it for animal feeds. It's a way less impactful uh, source of protein for animals than like corn or, or more terrestrial-based you know, plants. And the cows release less uh, CO2, right? Which actually- yep. is also Yes, yeah, the strains of seaweeds have enzymes that actually reduce the CO2 and methane emissions specifically yes. from, from cows. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting, really cool things. So I think it's going to be a cocktail of different approaches that are going to get us back to where we need to be at. But getting that, that consumer buy-in and consumer awareness is really what we're trying to do with Bloom is make algae cool you know, algae's kind of had a rough time. It's either was unknown, except for maybe to the microbiologists. And then it kind of had a bit, little bit of limelight in the mid 2000s with the biofuels. But then, you know, kind of the harmful algae blooms have become so bad that it, that kind of took over the, the social presence. So, you know, we're working with the brands to help tell a better story about algae and, and promote the benefits of it. And then I think we're also looking to go you know, into automotive, into furniture, into other consumer products and accessories. And just find new markets that we can use algae in. And even a little bit of algae in a product goes a long way. You know, every pound of algae that we harvest, it cleans like over 2,000 liters of water. That's incredible. When you say cleans the water, is it that because the fact that you're removing it or actually? Both. You're sucking the night. You're removing phosphorus and nitrogen through the removal of the algae cell. The algae cell is basically gobbling up all these micronutrients in the water and macronutrients in the water. And it's forming itself, like the cells were made out of protein and out of nitrogen and, and phosphorus. And so by pulling those algae cells out, not only are you literally like filtering the water of sediment, of particulates, but you're also chemically removing over 90% of phosphorus and nitrogen in most cases. Wow. So it does a really good job of, of literally like cleaning water. And I mean, wastewater treatment processes, they use algae to clean water. Like an enzyme, like little Pac-Man that are eating the... Yeah, algae produce a whole bunch of enzymes, and those enzymes are used to break down organics and break down inorganics and absorb them into their biomass. So yeah, for sure. Can we use it on on landfills, on garbage? Is it... Well, it has to be aqueous for the most part. So okay. You wouldn't really use it in the... Yeah, that was probably more like the bacteria, the fungus, or or land, more dry products. But any time that you have a wastewater uh, and you have an emission... You know, whether it's CO2 or water, if you've got it in water, then algae is a, is a candidate. Now, what about what you had mentioned before that it was used? You were doing explorations on biofuel. And, you know, it's funny because now we have all this corn and all this soybean, which is being, you know, it's being farmed in such ways that are depleting our soil. And, and it's not helping us at all. It's just, it's not a good solution. But algae, I mean, tell me, can it? Yes, that's where we started. I mean, that was what the Department of Energy's Aquatic Species Yeah, program. you mentioned it. Can we and that's back? what we started. Uh, so the Department of Energy funded my research program with our, our professor, Dr. Doss, and a couple of postdocs in 2006 and 2007 through 2010 when I was in grad school. So we were funded for 
using algae to make biofuels. And we did. We produced biofuels from wastewater grown algae. We were one of the first teams in the world to do it. We published in bioresource technology. However, the big but is that it was not efficient from a wastewater perspective because the amount of oil that we were getting out of the wild algae was very low, usually less than 10%, sometimes way less than 10%. So we were producing a whole bunch of algae, not a lot of oil, and the majority of what we had was protein and minerals. So that was when we made the pivot out of biofuels into higher value markets that still directly displace and compete with oil, right? Like when we go into a, to a product and put 20% algae in there, we're replacing 20% of the, of the oil, of the petroleum-based product. So we are one for one in a way replacing petroleum-based products, but we're not doing it through creating a biodiesel or an oil that in the traditional sense. Gotcha. But we're still using less oil. So when you come to furniture, when you're saying go into furniture, you're thinking about like foam cushions and. And molded part. Yeah. Is it mattresses? Is that something that it could be applied to? And is it flame retardant? Like, is it like like flame? Yeah. So mattresses, these are all polyurethanes. Those can be made with algae. There are companies, not ours, that there are companies out there that are doing this. Algenesis, Checker Spot, Corbion, a few other companies doing it, but they're relying on the production of algae oil. So there are a few people doing algae oil. They're really the main producers in Brazil using sugarcane, and they're feeding sugar to algae, and they're growing algae in the dark, not using sunlight, but they're growing much faster. So they can actually produce oil, these plant oils, at a higher rate. And they don't have to worry about contamination of other species coming in that's going to kill their productivity. So but that application of polyurethane foam for mattresses, like smart foam, that is possible. We don't do it, but it's a thing. Okay. So what furnitures are you thinking of going into? I mean, that's a new territory for us. So we're just kind of in the exploration phase right now. We've had a few calls with some sustainability-minded furniture brands that are interested. But, you know, we're starting small, even office molded products. And also electronics. I think some of the electronic plastics that are used in electronics, I mean, electronics these days almost become disposable. I mean, technology advances so quickly. A cell phone from five years ago is, is like ancient rubbish now. So, Right. Although I will say that, I mean, I'll go back. Obviously, you know, it's I have an iPhone, but I remember my BlackBerry. And I remember that my phone would last for 10 years. You know, none of this, like I needed a new phone every like three years. None of that. Well, you raise a good point. I think the other big change has to come in the, in the business model. Yeah. You know, the products, they've got to last longer. They've got to be more durable. They can't become obsolete so quickly. And they need to have second lives. You know, maybe a cell phone. And I've seen this, you know, now you're getting more credit for your cell phone than I think you used to, which was no credit. But I think maybe some of these devices are being refurbished and, and maybe sent to different countries that don't have access to the latest and greatest or consumers that are willing to spend 1200 bucks on a cell phone. <laughs> or at least hopefully taking out the gold from it. The, yep. you know, the electronics, e-recycling. Yeah, all the stuff that thing. we're mining and also causing big problems in other countries, which is a whole other conversation, right? <laughs> How that does. So. Ryan, so I ask everyone at the end of the show, like at the end of our conversation, what keeps you going? Although this conversation has been absolutely delightful and I thank you so much. I've learned so much and it doesn't feel like there was any hardships, but I'm sure that you have. I'm sure that you have, you know, you've banged your head against the wall for many times. 
what keeps you going? Like why uh, get up and keep being the change? That's a good question. Well, you know, I've got three young kids. So, you know, having a future that is stable and is regenerative. I mean, this is something that we've all got to really work towards the ways we've done things over the past centuries and, and certainly the past couple, you know, past hundred years has been very linear in thought and is not really designed for long-term stability of, of our species and the planet. So I feel like, you know, if I can inspire others to think more circular, if I can be part of a movement to access a totally underutilized, untapped natural resource that is literally surrounds us everywhere, we just don't see it. It's invisible. It's microscopic. We don't really know about it. You don't hear people talking about algae that much. If I can be an assistance and it helps raise awareness around that and, and actually get these technologies into the world, you know, I feel like I'm going to leave the, the planet in a better place than I found it. So I think that's what probably drives us most. And then always just continuing to innovate. I'm a, I'm a scientist. I'm excited about uh, new technology. And you know, this is all stuff that we invented 12 years ago. So we're working on new stuff now that, you know, who knows where we're going. I can't talk about that stuff, but maybe hopefully it'll take less than, than 10 years to get it out into the market. That's fantastic. It's really been an incredible conversation for me. I'm so glad that we met on Instagram and I reached out. Again, I found you with Bloom, but how can people, how, how can we follow you? And I'm sure someone's going to ask me, are you hiring? What should people do? Go to your website? Yeah, well, yeah certainly follow us on Instagram. We're at Bloom Foam. You know, comments, you know, engage with us. We literally love that. Uh, you can follow my journey on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, Ryan W. Hunt. Uh, co-founder, CTO of Algix and Bloom. So it's, you can find me on there and we post a lot. On LinkedIn, we get a little more granular. We talk a little bit more about the science and we talk a little bit more about the, the other projects. And so if you're more technical minded or you want to see a little bit more kind of behind just the you know, kind of the, the high level stuff, we dive into some more detail on LinkedIn. So that's a good group to follow us on. And of course, our website, bloomtreadwell.com, all of our brands, we have landing pages for all of them. So you mentioned yesterday earlier, you put in the spot, said, hey, which one of your brands? I mean, there's so many, I don't always want to know where to start at. Uh, they're all alphabetized. So just because Adidas starts with an A doesn't mean they're the best, but they are a very large customer of ours. We love Adidas and they've been a huge sponsor and proponent of, of our technology. So uh, certainly they always come to mind, but there's many, many others that we owe a, a great deal of gratitude towards. So check out our brands page there. And if you're a designer, if you're a developer, if you like making products or an entrepreneur, we have a shop. If you want to see what a Bloom foam sample looks like, feels like, tastes like, you know, you can order stuff from our website. These are, you know, little squares or bigger squares, depending on what you're looking for, of different softnesses and, and different performance specs. So we love to engage with scientists, with product creators, product designers. I mean, I think that in the future, product design and creating circularity into product design, is that's where it starts. So I think engaging with the design community is an area that we really want to promote in the future. Incredible. Thank you. This has been just wonderfully inspirational. So thank you, Ryan. I thank you for being the change and being on today. Thank you, Christine. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.